morning. If I haven't had the pleasure to meet you, my name is Brad Knoll. I'm one of the pastors here at SBC, and I get the opportunity to share with you this morning. But if you do not have a Bible, will you please raise your hand, and our ushers will put a Bible in your outstretched arm. Just keep that up there. Um, this morning, we are going to be in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, will you uh, open that up? And as soon as we kind of get our Bibles in hands, uh, will you stand with me? Uh, a couple more there, Craig. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word in uh, Romans chapter 1. And we're going to go th- 1 through 16. <clears throat> it says, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, among all the nations, including you who are called to to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may come at last, excuse me, somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we want to honor you with our time as we open your Holy Scripture this morning. Lord, as we are reminded of, of the beauty of the gospel, that we are no longer as we were yesterday or uh, the day before, Lord, but we are being uh, changed more into your likeness and your image day by day. And Lord, as we uh, dive into this passage from Paul, I just pray, Lord, that you will illuminate the Scriptures Allow us to hear of your good news, your gospel. Be encouraged today to be world changers and world shakers. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. To kind of give you an idea where we're at in Romans chapter 1, the church in Rome has been growing uh, mightily, and and Paul, as we've read here, has been um, wanting to come to the church to encourage them, to lift them up, but for some reason or not, he hasn't been able to come and to see them face to face. So he writes this letter. And um, for the bulk of our, our study this morning, we're going to be focusing on verse 1 and verse 16. We will expound on some of the verses in between, but the two main ones we're going to be looking at is those two verses. 
But before we do, I don't want to take for granted by any means that somebody maybe is here that has never even heard the gospel. Or maybe you've been a Christian for 40 years and you're like, well, I know what the gospel is. I hear it every Sunday. Um, you know, it's, it's very um, something that rolls off of my tongue. But today I want to make sure that, that as, as we as Christians, even if we've been saved for long periods of time, um, we are renewed daily by the gospel. And I want to share with you the, the ABCs of the gospel this morning, first and foremost. As we uh, start off, admit. Everyone say admit. Oh, man, that was the weakest admit I've ever heard. <laughs> admit. admit. Oh, there we go. Um, we need to first and foremost admit that there is a, a problem, and that problem is sin. Um, admit that sin has tainted us and acknowledge we are helpless without God. That's the A of the ABCs. Um, excuse me. Romans chapter 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Furthermore, Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The good news being, though, coming out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that we weren't left to our own demise, that for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So we admit, we admit, and then we repent and turn. The second thing, believe. We believe in Jesus. We believe in his precious blood that was shed on our behalf. For the law tells us, Hebrews chapter 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission of sin. John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And one of the most familiar verses in the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. Believe. The last part of the ABCs is C. Confess. What comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. Um, we tell someone to, to be baptized, not of course a requirement of sin, but um, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, if we confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, God's mercies are new every morning. As we wake up and the sun shines and we have breath in our lungs, we need to be reminded of the ABCs of the gospel, being reminded that, that we can come, we can admit our fault, admit our sin. We believe on the Lord Jesus that breaks the bondages of sin and has raised from the dead. And then we confess with our mouth believing in our hearts that he is good and he is deserving of our praises. So Paul here, as, as we kind of dive into our passage, uh, he starts off first and foremost with proclaiming his identity. And this is kind of how we're going to focus part of our time this morning is, is reminding us who we are in Christ. So let's go back to verse 1 here. It says, Paul a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. If you're taking notes, the first three subpoints here is purchased, called, and separated. As Paul starts off, he says, I am a servant. Paul, a servant. And in most cultures, um, in today's you know, modern world, we don't have servants. We don't have slaves underneath our our dominion, that we have them do things around our house or whatever or not. 
And I was joking with, with some of the families this morning, well, some of us have kids, and we're like, well, get in the kitchen and clean the dishes. So, you know, that's part of our, our servanthood, I guess. But <laughs> I'm glad, we, you know, I'm not the only one that has our kids being, being slaves in our house. Whitman, no. Um, but the word here for, for servant or slave is doulos. You want to say doulos. And doulos means one devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. And this particular servant wasn't necessarily uh, there under his master's lead by, by obligation, but he chose to after his master has, has paid his debt. So he is a free will servant. That's what kind of Paul's alluding to here, that, that he, he makes the conscious choice to be a follower of Christ, to be the slave of Christ to the master. And master here, being Jesus Christ, is curios. And curios is someone who has undisputed possession of a person or thing. So he owns, he owns the, the servant and the fact that he paid the debt fully. He took out of his own pocket and said, you know what, I'm going to pay that, that million-dollar debt that you had. Why? Because I love you. I care for you. You are my friend. You are my child. And we find here that there's this relationship between the doulos and the, the curios. And the, the servant comes alongside and says, you know what? You have paid it all on the behalf of me. And I free will come to you knowing that you are deserving of my, my servitude, my, my honor, my, my glory is all to you. And that's what it talks about as he's saying here, I am the servant. Uh, Psalms 143.8 says this. It says, Let the morning bring me word of your unveiling love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for I entrust my life to you. God has, has taken us from the muck and the mire. He, he has cleansed us, made us new. And we say, Lord, I am making a choice now to follow you. You are my king. You are my leader. And I'm not going to turn away, for you are deserving. Before I was saved, before you were saved, everything revolved around us. It was all about me. It was all self-centeredness. But now, we need to realize that our attitude and thought should now be Christ-centered. From self-seeking to Jesus-pleasing. Also, the idea that I and me should now turn to him and to others. Let us not just become servants of Jesus, but also a servant to all. I was reminded of this song you know, back in the Billy Graham age. Um, Nancy Porges was sharing with me earlier. This is kind of when this song came out. And if you know it, sing along with me. It says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. A simple reminder to us that we are no longer who we used to be. That God has, has given us uh, power and victory over the sin that so easily ensnares us. I am so happy to, to think about, you know, 20 years ago that 
I was foreign. I was an alien. I was an enemy of the Most High. But God intervened. God intervened and changed my heart and opened my eyes and I became a new creature. It's the same for you and for you. That you're no longer the same. And we continue to follow Jesus as his servant, as his slave, if you must, might say. He goes on and talk about his identity even more. Furthermore, in, in verse 1, he says that he is called to be an apostle. Now, the word apostle here, of course, is the big A apostle, meaning, you know, the, the Peter, Johns, and Jameses, and, and Pauls of the time. And those guys were big A apostles in the sense that they have seen the risen king. They have seen Jesus. Now, we can be little A apostles in the sense that we are missionaries and sent out. But furthermore, I pose the question, what are you called to? What am I called to? Is it simply just to be a bump on the log? Is it simply to um, live our lives as mere Christians that, that are not on fire for Jesus? Well, he goes on to tell us here that, that he is called distinctly for a purpose. And it's the same thing for you. You are called for a purpose. You're called to, to proclaim the gospel. You're called to be a follower of Christ. You're called to be a disciple. These are all things that, that we should glean um, from the Word of God and hold on to and then move forward. We tried to kind of simplify this a little bit in, in our, um, our vision statement of the church. And if you read up here, it says, follow Jesus and make disciples. And we do that in three different ways. First and foremost, it's to live like Jesus lived. Well, how did Jesus live? Well, he was always reaching out to the poor. He was always um, around the sick. He was around sinners constantly. In fact, that, that they, they called him a glutton and a drunkard. That he was hanging out at parties. He was, he was being the light and salt to the world. He didn't simply um, post himself up in the temple and close the doors. He was engaged with non-believers. He was engaged with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Anybody and everybody, we live as Jesus lived, holy and righteous in the fact of just being light and salt to the world. Second, we love as Jesus loved. And that's pretty, pretty big shoes to fill because Jesus loves unconditionally. We're finite. We're sinners. But we try our best to be in the culture, to love people, love them where they're at. You know, and with that, look for, looking for those opportunities to, to shed light. Looking for those opportunities to be an example. Looking for the opportunities to share with them that I'm a, I'm a sinner too and I struggle. But I know the one that has cleansed me, that has made me whole, and point them to Jesus. Last, we leave behind what Jesus left behind. We leave behind disciples. We train them up. We share the good news with them and then allow them to learn from you and learn from your mistakes. We leave a legacy. That's what Jesus did. Yes, he's no longer here on this earth, but is seated on his heavenly throne. 
but he has left a legacy that has lasted these 2,000 years, that we look back and see his example. We see who he was as God in the flesh, and he came in the flesh to be an example for you and me. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was at a memorial, and many times at a memorial, I, I'm in the booth back here and you know, kind of running the sound, but the thought always comes up is, what is my legacy when I pass from this earth? What will people say when they stand up here? You know, we've all been to memorials and, and funerals at some point. Usually it's an open mic that they come up and they share about, man, he was the best golfer in the world, and he was such a good guy. You know what I want them to say at my memorial? Man, he loved Jesus. He, he was a person that followed Jesus, that loved people. May that be the same for you. Our legacy isn't the amount of money we make, the home that we build. It's not even our spouse or our kids. Our legacy should be about, about God's glory and what we've done with the gifts that he's given us. For in fact, he tells us that, that the, the things that we do here on earth, um, some of them are wood, hay, and stubble. Others are precious gold and gems that will be stored up in heaven someday. I mean, once we're saved, our, our works do matter in, in some capacity. May we be reaching for his glory and all that he has. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. I'm always reminded, uh, a few years ago, Pastor Wayne shared with us that when he was a kid, he used to get his soapbox and stand up and preach to the cows and the animals and stuff. And I was like, all right, all right. You know, he's learning at a young age, knowing the call of the Lord. So if you leave here today and I see you on the side of the road preaching to a squirrel, I won't judge you. But Jesus is saying here to, to be ready to proclaim the gospel to anybody. doesn't matter. If you need practice preaching, go out in the woods and preach. You are all preachers of the gospel. Matthew 28, 19, where we gather our vision statement from, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John 15, 16, a reminder that you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, He may give it to you. Colossians three twenty three: whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And then last, in Romans eleven twenty nine, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. It's one of my favorite verses, knowing that as God has called us out and has given us a purpose, he's not like an Indian giver that says, okay, nope, I'm taking that back, and you need to figure it out on your own. They're irrevocable. That means the calling that he has put you on, the path that he has put you on, it is foreordained that you would go down this path and that he would lead and guide you in the various ways of life as we continue to trust in him. Does that mean that we won't get off the wayward path sometimes? No, we will. First John tells us if we, if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. We're all going to fall at times. 
But the difference is now is that I know the Savior that has purchased my sin, has cleansed me and made me as white as snow, and I am not condemned. There is no guilt in Christ, but I am set free. And we praise the Lord for that. And with knowing that those truths, I think James kind of brings it around and tells us that, that faith without works is dead. And if you have your Bible, turn there with me real quick. James chapter 2, and I want to read this passage together. James, James chapter 2. We're going to jump down to verse 14. The heading here, faith without works is dead. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out on another way? For as the the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now this passage here isn't speaking about salvation. You're not saved by works. We, We... accomplished that reading through Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It's by God's grace through faith, not of yourself. But as James is referring to here, he's saying here that we should um, bear fruit from our faith. We aren't simply just to show up on Sunday, I'm a Christian, and we sing some songs, and listen to somebody talk up here, and then you go about your business. No, what he's saying here that that faith should should be proclaimed through all that we do in our actions, our thoughts, our deeds, our checkbook, in our homes, in our workplace. People should know that you're a Christian. Maybe not necessarily right off the bat, you know, but they should see something different. You should smell a little bit like Jesus, you know? So, We need to make our faith known, be characterized by being a follower of Christ. In your work environments, especially, you know, sometimes, you know, it's not a place to be proselytizing. I get that at the at the hospital. So I'll go in and visit the grandmas, you know, that are in extended care, but I'm not supposed to go in and just be like Bible thumping. Turn or burn, turn or burn, oh grandma. No. (laughs) It's very frowned upon. 
you know, so, but what they did tell me was that if, if they ask a question, it opens the door. You know, you are called to be a good steward at your work. You're not called to be a preacher at your work. You're called to pound nails. You're called to be a police officer and do your job well. But when the door opens, when God opens those doors, don't be afraid to step into them and say, Lord, open the eyes to where you're already at work. I took an evangelism explosion class a couple years ago. I know a few of you went through it. But something that, that I took from that class, um, the person that was speaking referred to as unripened fruit. So what I mean by that is, is that let's say I'm here and I'm talking to Anka, and I know Anka is unsaved. She doesn't know Jesus. She's cussing like a sailor, you know. She, she smokes a pound of weed a day. Um, you know, so, but we've built a relationship. I'm not sitting around smoking pot with her, but we're, we're hanging out. And all of a sudden she asks, you know, there's something different about you, Brad. And I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, about 20 years ago, I, I came in encounter with the living God. And she says, the living God. You believe that mumbo-jumbo Christian junk? You know, she totally blows me off. And, you know, like, okay, it's not the right time to be sharing with Anka. You know, we'll, we'll wait for the next week when she's high, and then we can <laughs> check things out. But, so thinking of that not as a, a turn down to Brad, but I am thinking of it as it's just unripened fruit. It's not ready yet. You know, we don't go to an apple tree and pick necessarily the, the green apple, right? We wait for it to turn red. So I planted some seeds. Then all of a sudden, three years down the road, Shelly comes in encounter with Anka. And Anka's like, Shelly, there's something different about you. I don't know what it is. And she shares the, the gospel with Anka. This time she's like, and I, I remember a couple of years ago, Pastor Brad said something to me about that too. And all of a sudden, the doors come tumbling down and she gets saved. So some people plant, some people water. And in that particular instance, Shelly got to, to harvest. You know, so don't always think that it has to be right then and there. Set apart. You know, the Apostle Paul says, first and foremost, he's a servant. He's called to a mission. And that mission is to be set apart for the gospel of God. Spurgeon has a, a, a synonym for this set apart. You know, we, we use the word holy in many times, but I like how he states it. And he says, he, he states that Paul was effectually called. When I think of effectually, um, I think of maybe while I'm working on my car, and some of you men can relate to this, where you don't have the right tool for what you're supposed to be doing, but you try to jimmy rig something with some duct tape or a screwdriver and a wrench, and you're like, yeah, whack! And you bust your knuckles, and you're like, frickin' You know? And so some of you guys are like, yeah, I remember that. That wasn't an effectual tool. Or maybe you show up to grandma's house, or maybe you're this person that has all this beautiful china that's up in your cabinet at home. 
How many times a year do you use that china? Maybe once. Easter, Christmas. You know, maybe you haven't used it ever. Don't touch it. It's sacred. Or on the other end of the spectrum, how many of you guys have a junk drawer at home? Anybody have a junk drawer? I opened my junk drawer yesterday, and I said, holy moly, wife, we need to get rid of some stuff. It just packed. I couldn't find anything in there. So you're not placed on a shelf. You're not a piece of junk that's thrown into a, a drawer. But you're called and effectually made for a purpose. God has designed you for a specific purpose in this life. And that's what Paul is kind of stating here. He's saying that I'm called to the gospel, just like you are called to the gospel, to accomplish the work of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before the foundation of the world. Lord, you knew who I was. You knew my inner being. You knew the very hairs on my head or lack thereof. You know everything about me. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible from Jeremiah, the, the prophet Jeremiah 1.5, and some of you may know this. It says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you. I think I need to return this iPad. This is the second time it crashed. Sorry, guys. Excuse me one sec. He has called you. He, has, he knew you from the beginning of time. That you would be here. That you would be born in this moment. That tomorrow as, as you go to Costco and you're interacting with the various lovely people at Costco and somebody rams your cart you know, he knows, you know, that your car is going to break down tomorrow. And, you know, what, what are the choices and the thoughts that you're going to have? He knows as you go home and you're making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for your kids today on how you're going to react when they won't come inside. And you yelled at them four times. He knows that you're going to go home to a spouse that's unsaved and you, you are trying to be a living example. He knows that tomorrow as you enter the classroom and there's you know, 20 little kids that are there that um, don't know Jesus, that you're going to be the light and salt in that arena. What are you called to do? The gospel changes everything, folks. The gospel changes everything. A couple things that we don't necessarily have time to unpack completely, but I want to share a few of these verses. Let's hop down in our Romans passage to verse 8. And in verse 8 here it says, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Why, does he, why is he thankful? Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He's telling these folks that Man, I've heard of your faith all over the known world. 
The Apostle Paul has been on like three different missionary journeys, you know, parts of Asia, Asia Minor, into um, parts of Europe. And he's heard about the faith of these people. Has people heard about your faith? Do they know that you're even a Christian? It's an encouragement to us to proclaim that I am no longer who I used to be and I am new. This week I had the, the privilege of going to our local soup kitchen. And we go down there monthly. If you ever um, want to come down and serve, I'd love to have you. But it was a unique opportunity. I was sitting there with Becky Underwood. And if any of you know Becky, she's, she's yay tall and she's as quiet as could be. She's very shy. So we're there and there's, there's about 10 of of our local homeless people that are there. And all of a sudden, I don't know what it was, it was a divine appointment, I guess, that somebody asked the question about Jesus. Like, oh, you're a pastor, huh? Well, what do you think about this? Open door! Got up on my soapbox and I was preaching. It was great. Um, I saw Becky in the corner like, uh-oh, what's going on? You know, kind of thing. But So we're looking for the, those opportunities again and, and letting people know that I, I live out my faith. I live out the fact that I'm not afraid to share in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was a reminder that last week as I was preparing for this, that I've, I've kind of lost that a little bit. I've lost the, the idea and thought that I have a love for the lost. I think I asked somebody this morning, how many people live on this earth? Like 7 billion or something like that? 3 billion? How many people of those do you think know Jesus? Let's even just take our tr trucky area here. There's 16,000 people in this town, and, and in many ways, churches are fighting over attendees. Oh, man, they came from Tall Forest. They went to Tall Forest. They went to Calvary. Oh, they're at the Baptist church. Who cares? As long as they're getting fed Jesus. What about all the rest of the 15,000 people that are dying in our town? Let's go share the gospel. Jesus loves them and cares for them. May your faith be known. Verse 11. It says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Be encouragers as we gather here day in and, um, not day in and day out, but weekly, the fact of the matter, this is, should be a time of edification, of build up for the work of the ministry. That as you leave these doors, you are on mission for him. So, he finds here and says, I, I long to come to you so I can impart a spiritual gift. And I don't want to get into the, the whole list of spiritual gifts. Some of them are are debatable by all means. But the idea and thought here is, is that each of you that are saved and redeemed, that you are imparted a, at least one spiritual gift. And that might be the gift of helps. That might be the gift of worship. That might be the gift of prayer or giving um, or being preaching or administration. The idea and thought is, is that you would be engaged with your brothers and sisters here at the church and other believers to build them up in the faith. I remember the story of Moses that as he's standing on the mountain and, and they're at war, right? 
So every time his hands are raised, the, the army succeeds and is beating the army. And when his arms fall down, the, the army starts to lose and they have to retreat. So his buddies come and they lift up the arms of Moses. Anybody remember that story? It's the same thing for us. All of us will be downtrodden and, and be at the bottom of the barrel at some point in time. All of us might have a loved one that will die here soon or a spouse that wants to divorce us or a child that dies. Or maybe you're just spiritually just dead and dry. We all need our brothers and sisters to continue to pour into each other, to lift us up, to encourage us, to point us to Jesus. Don't let us wallow in our our filth or our depression. To bring us out, to encourage us. Verse 13. Like I said, I just want to hit on a couple of these a little bit, you guys. Uh, But verse 13. "I, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. As I, we had the story of Anka. Mind you, she's not a drunkard and a pothead, (laughs) at least that we know of. (laughs) We love you, Anka. Um, For you ladies, she's an excellent teacher. She meets on Saturdays. You should come check out some of her teaching. But uh, some of you are are reapers. Some of you are harvesters. Some of you are planters. That's what Paul's saying. I I wish I could come. I want to come and I want to harvest among you. Maybe an encouragement that there's plenty. There's plenty around to to share in, in the harvest of God. God is drawing men unto himself, and he wants to use you and me to to take part in the work of that ministry. Verse 14, uh, excuse me, verse 15. It says, So I am eager to preach. uh, Excuse me, let's go back to 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who. Are in Rome. It's a reminder for us here that, that God does not see skin color, race, um, sex, wealth, uh, you know, riches, poor, social status. If you're the king of wherever or you're living in a cardboard box in the woods, God doesn't see that. He sees people. And may we have those glasses of seeing people like that too. There's no boundaries. God loves people all the same. He doesn't say, well, I only like the Jew. No, it's not like that anymore. The veil is torn. The Gentiles are welcomed in. We're Gentiles. There's nobody here that's, that's pure blood of anything. We're all melting mixed pot. But once we are saved, we become children of the King. The kingdom of God. We're not of this world. May we continually look to Jesus, our Father, our King, our Brother, for His guidance and wisdom. The last few things that I want to share with you this morning comes from this, the last verse of this passage in uh, verse uh, 16. And 
it basically states here that, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I am not ashamed. Some of you may be here and you're ashamed of your past. I'm ashamed of my past. Made some horrible mistakes. I'm ashamed of the things that I've done, the things that I've thought. But I'm not supposed to be ridden with guilt and ashamed of those things anymore. God has cleansed you and made you as white as snow. He's forgiven you. He doesn't remember them. In fact, he takes our sin and says he casts it as far as the east is from the west. He will never bring the remembrance of those things ever again. They are placed on the cross. They are nailed to his stained blood hands. And in fact, as he is risen from the dead, I, I am so excited that we are cleansed by the precious blood of Christ. What an amazing thing. Do not be ashamed. We've all been in that setting at one point in time, maybe where we started to share our faith or we thought about sharing our faith, and all of a sudden we cower and we're like, nope, not today. You know, with your coworker that's just struggling, and you know the answer, you know the remedy in your heart, you're like, you need Jesus. I wish I could tell you about him, but I'm too scared. Be bold. Be courageous. Speak about the good news of what he's done for you. For each of you have a testimony. Secondly, as he, he shares here that, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. The power of God. I shared with some folks um, for first of all, I don't think I shared with you guys, but you know we can love people to hell. Did I say that to you guys already? I don't think I did. What do you mean by that, Brad? Well, we could be the March of Dimes, the Salvation Army. We could be a good doctor, a good lawyer. And ultimately, you know, we could feed the poor, visit the homeless, do all these different things in the name of Christ. But if we simply don't open our mouth, and share the good news that Jesus came in the flesh, He died, He rose again. For what? The remission of sin, the forgiveness of sins. Those people are still going to go to hell with a full belly. Does that mean those things are bad? No. Please continue doing those things. Those things. We read that in James. Faith without works is dead. But remembering that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. People's hearts aren't going to be changed if you don't open your mouth and proclaim of the greatness and goodness of God. The Gospel. The good news. That's what I want to leave you with. This last, uh, last passage here. Let's see if I have it up here. Nope. Last passage. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 15. You could turn there with me if you'd like, if you have your Bible. Romans chapter 10. Verse 13. 10, 13. For everyone, meaning everyone, 
who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they here without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are your feet? Not meaning that you had a good pedicure, you know. But how beautiful are you who go in the name of the Lord and proclaim the good news of the gospel and reap the harvest. There's nothing like it, I'm telling you. If you have never brought somebody to the Lord, been able to pray with them, share with them, it's, it's exhilarating. You know, for, for some, they're, I think they're more scared of them to say yes sometimes. Like, if I do share the gospel, what's next? Well, pray with them, share with them, and then they need to be discipled. So maybe you're not the person maybe to disciple them yet. Maybe you bring them to somebody else. Bring them to a home group, a Bible study. Bring them to church. Show them what it means to walk with other believers. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations. Shall we continue to do that? You know, there's, there's many avenues during the year that um, I'm in charge of to, to do outreach into our community. And the idea and thought behind that is that um, it's cast, creating avenues to share truth. Come alongside. Let's go reap together. Let's go water together. Let's plant together. We have VBS coming up. Get involved with VBS. Teach some kids about Jesus. Play some silly games in here with Dave Schroeder. He'll dress up like a referee and you guys can run around together. But the, the object and thought is, is, guys, that we're engaging in, in people and culture. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Let's continue to engage the lost and proclaim of the good news. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we uh, do not want to be ashamed. We want to be your servant in working um, in a culture that does not want you, Lord. But we know desperately that you are the remedy, that you are the, the good news. And Lord, may you give us boldness. May you uh, show us the areas where you're already at work with that particular coworker or the grocery clerk that we may encounter or even our kids and spouse at home. Lord, may we be examples of you. We thank you, Lord, that you have brought uh, dry bones and made them alive. We thank you, Lord, that, that your amazing grace has been bestowed on us, Lord, not because we were good, but because you are good. And we thank you, Lord, for today, for your word. May we go from here, Lord, in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing this last song?